You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, it's your word that we look to for wisdom, for comfort, and for knowing you. You have spoken through your word. You have given us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word. And so this morning, as we look into your word, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your your illumination. Father, help us to see that which we need to see in order to honor you more in our lives. We pray this morning as we study your word that it would be real to us and vibrant and effective in our lives correcting, instructing, and remonstrating as necessary. And we'll thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a while since I've been with you, so we're going to go ahead and read chapter 8. We're probably, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're probably going to finish it today. (laughs) At least that is my plan. (laughs) We shall see the best laid plans, you know. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known... Unto you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of of others the sincerity of your faith, of your love also, excuse me, of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present... It is acceptable according to what a man has, according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance may also, also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also 
in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting in you. So remember the last time we were together, we finished up, I believe we were in about verse 16. Let me double check here. Actually, we finished up in verse 17. We had looked at the gathering. Um, 14 says, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, that their abundance may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. We talked about the fact that this was not a an always thing, but a something that happens in emergencies when when there is a great need and there are Christians who can meet that need. They can supply the need of, especially in this particular case, the church of Jerusalem who was going through some severe times. And then verse 18, as it is written, he who had much did not, excuse me, 15, he, had, he, who had, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. There was a great sharing that went on and that was Paul's bringing forward the Old Testament scriptures demonstrating what had happened in the past was again happening. And then he talked about the earnestness that was in the heart of Titus. Paul didn't have to drive this. Titus himself saw the need, a leader in the church, and he, took, he picked up this ball and he carried it. And it was, it was his earnestness that, that made this, if you will, made this thing happen. And it says that he, for not only, he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he went to you, he has gone to you of his own accord. He went to the Corinthian church of his own accord. Now remember, the church in Corinth had started the collection a year before, a year before this, this explanation here. And uh, then probably because of the dispute they had in the church there um, with the false apostles slandering Paul, they had dropped it. And so all Paul is doing here is challenging them to pick it back up and to finish it, to finish what they started. And so, and Titus is going to Corinth to facilitate this, this gift that, that Paul has been co collecting throughout all the churches of Achaia, Macedonia, and, and Corinth, and which is part of uh, Macedonia. So anyway, we're going to see how this plays out now. So he says in verse, and, and last week, I think it was Peter that asked who the famous famous brethren is that they're talking about here in verse 18. And you're going to find out this week who it is if you talk to someone else. Because I don't know. Verse 18. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. There's nothing in scripture to indicate who this famous brother was. There's speculation that it was Tychicus Trophimus or Luke, those are the three most possible, most likely. In fact, there are eight, if you, as I was studying this and looking through all the different, different suggestions, there were, I came up with eight different suggestions, potential candidates, according to commentaries and history, histories and one uh, encyclopedia. So they are Sopater, Secundus, Timothy, Luke, Gaius, Aristarchus, Tychicus, and Trophimus with the most likely three being the ones I mentioned first. Whoever it was, and I'm sorry to disappoint you that I don't have a name, <laughs> whoever it was, but by the way, one thing I should mention about this, 
that I like us all to, this is something, it's a basic principle, but it's always worth coming back to. Everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus is in the scriptures. They are completely sufficient. A missing name is not a problem. But it, it's something that I'm going to ask when I get there. Who was that guy? Who was that guy? I want to know. So whoever it was, he would have been well known in all the churches, of both in Corinth and the rest of Macedonia and Jerusalem. Tychicus is first mentioned in connection with Paul's third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20. He is called a beloved brother and a faithful servant, a faithful minister in the Lord and a fellow bondservant in the Lord. He was apparently with Paul during his first Roman imprisonment, and he delivered the epistles to the Ephesians and to the Colossians that Paul wrote. He also comforted those churches and delivered news about Paul to them. <clears throat> he accompanied Onesimus when Paul sent him back. You remember the runaway slave Onesimus? He ran away from Philemon, <clears throat> met Paul in probably Rome, got saved. And then Paul said, you got to go back. you got to go back and make this right. So he sent him back, and he probably Tychicus probably accompanied Onesimus, when Paul sent him back to Philemon. Later, Paul sent him to, to Tychicus to Ephesus so that Timothy could come to him. And here are the scriptures that are related to that. Acts chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 4. Uh, Acts 24, and he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe and Timi, Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. And then in, Acts, in Ephesians 6, 21, Paul says, But that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, I lost my place, <clears throat> will make everything known to you about him, about Paul. Uh, Colossians 4, 7 and 9, As to all my affairs, <clears throat> Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. And then in 2 Timothy, he sends Tychicus to Ephesus. And then in 2 Timothy 3, or Titus 3, and when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. He's talking to Timothy, or to Titus. Trophimus, whose name, that, that's the first one. That's the first possibility. Um, the next one is Trophimus, whose name literally means foster child. He was an Ephesian believer who accompanied Paul at the close of his third missionary journey. He accompanied Paul through Greece, Macedonia, Asia, and on into Jerusalem. He innocently caused the riot, that, the assault that Paul endured at the hands of the Jewish mob who thought Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple in Acts chapter 24. Today, all these people that are denied access to colleges and the college administration freaks out about them. It's nothing new. The Jewish, uh, the Jewish folks freaked out about the possibility that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple. First of all, Paul wouldn't do that. But they freaked out about it, and so there was a riot, and Paul was assaulted. And it was unwittingly caused by this young man. Uh, the last we hear about Trophimus was Paul having to leave him sick at Miletus. In the verses, we're looking at Acts chapter 20, 21, and 2 Timothy 4. In Acts chapter 20, it says, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. 
And then in 21.9, 21.29, Acts, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, and they rioted and, and assaulted Paul. And then in 2 Timothy 4, Erastus, verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, Paul says, I left sick at Miletus. So those are two of the possibilities. Um, and those are maybe the main two. Those are the two that I covered. Whoever this brother was, he was not chosen because of his looks. He was not chosen because of his business acumen or his fame. He was chosen because he was trustworthy, a spiritually mature man of character. It was integrity and spiritual maturity that Paul looked for as guided by the Holy Spirit for leadership in the early church, and thus it should be today. This points out, this verse points out that this brother's fame was in the gospel. It was in the gospel. Not in anything else. It was in the gospel. It was not in oratory. It was not in physical capabilities or in acting ability. Hello? Or any other superficial quality. His fame was directly tied to his ability to preach the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any questions? And no, I really don't know who it was. <laughs> Or comments about that verse? Okay, verse 19. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered for, by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. This unknown famous person was appointed by the churches, not by Paul, not by Titus or any of the others. This diffusion, if you will, of responsibility produced a group to administer the gift that was specifically, this group was specifically chosen by the churches and not by one person. That's important. That's, that's significant. This would increase the likelihood of faithfulness, and it would speak to all of the churches about their participation. Every church's participation was made evident by their choosing the emissaries to go to Jerusalem. <clears throat> As in everything that believers do, Paul exhorts the Christians at Corinth to know that this work had been undertaken, what? For the glory of the Lord himself. It also demonstrated the willingness of believers to be quick to help others. The Greek word for appoint, by the way, comes from the idea of stretching out the hand to vote for someone. This believer that they're talking about was apparently chosen, elected by the churches himself. He wasn't uh, appointed by any individual. Paul didn't appoint him. Titus didn't appoint him. He was elected by the churches. <laughs> any comments about that? Questions about verse 19? <clears throat> verse 20. Taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. If the love of money is the root of all evil, and if money buys power and supposedly all these things, it is very important that we observe how we administer money in the church. We, we need to be careful about that. It needs to be... Um, administered by trustworthy people. And so that's what's going on here. Paul is taking great precautions because he's, I don't know how big the gift was, but the talk, the word is generous, large. Um, and we'll see that word. It's, the only, it's only used, the, the word for 
the particular word is only used once in the entire New Testament, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's, it's interesting to see that. He took precaution. He anticipated all the potential pitfalls that could accompany the distribution of a large sum of money to a far distant place. The least, not the least of all, would be traveling bands of, of uh, robbers and brigands that could take it from them on the way. They had quite a ways to go, um, all the way up and around and down to Jerusalem. He took action to make sure that nothing would happen to justify the potential criticisms. This wasn't to maintain his reputation. It was because the entire project was for the glory of God himself. It was for the glory of God. And, and thus, as any work the church might do, it needed to be carefully planned and executed in a manner that would demonstrate honesty, trustworthiness, and veracity. That the repu- Not the reputation of God, but how Christians esteem God was that question here. And so, very, very careful. The word generous, by the way... Uh, this is the word that it's, um, it means, I think it's the only used here, but it's every objection and concern is anticipated, but uh, I, what happens when you read the sentence you just last said? People think that you've lost your mind. I haven't. The word for generous comes from a Greek word that just means abundance, and it appears only here in the New Testament. Superabundance, ripeness, fullness. Um, the idea is lavishness. It's It's... The, the apples are falling out of the barrel. There's too many. It's a great, wondrous gift that Paul and all of these emissaries are going to be administering to Jerusalem. And so the care that they exercised was important, and we'll see why here in this next verse. But any questions about verse 20? So here's verse 21. He says, For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. First, honor the Lord. But make sure that you don't do anything that will bring men's, that men will cause men to cast a scant eye on it. What are you guys doing with that money? Where did that money go? How did that, it all works out wonderfully because of all the the, uh, precautions Paul takes. Paul is not a man pleaser by any stretch of the imagination. And yet he and the others who were helping administer this gift adopted a plan that would demonstrate transparency and honesty in the sight of God and in the sight of men. He knew that his constant appeals that he was pleasing God could ring hollow, so he made certain that the procedures he followed were in keeping with good accounting principles and would be seen as appropriately handling the people's money by men. This is a general statement, and it would be understood to mean that both those in and out of the church would see the administration of this gift as having been done properly. Believers and unbelievers both would be able to look at this administration of this gift and say, yeah, that was, that was the right way to do it. That was impressive. They got the money. All the money got to Jerusalem. All the money that was given got to Jerusalem. For he had regard for what was honorable for bo- in both the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Any questions or comments about that? Sometimes I think some of the worst difficulties that arise in the church are over money. And uh, I praise God that here we have honorable people dealing with the money at Kootenai Community so that there's never a question. And if there is a question, ask it, because what is being done here is honorable in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of men. Verse 22, we have sent with them our brother, doing it to us again, he's doing it to us again, 
whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Diligence or confidence here goes both ways. So Paul here mentions another brother who had been sent before on missions that required integrity and transparency. This brother had acquitted himself in those emissaries, in those missions, I should say, honorably, and had therefore earned the trust of Paul and of the churches. That's why he accompanied this group. And his brother, this brother, was also confident himself at being engaged by the Corinthians to go on this, to be trusted to do this. He trusted those in the church. He knew that they had, and that's important too, the taker of the gift has to trust that the gift was properly given, and he did. The, the Corinthians were worthy of his confidence, and uh, all of these things, he was con convinced that this would bless the Jerusalem church. It would be a blessing to the Jerusalem church, not just the money, but the giving of it, the giving of themselves, the sacrifice that occurred here. It is unknown why Paul didn't mention these other brothers, these two other brothers by name. There's speculation that he might have wanted to heighten anticipation of their arrival. You know, who's coming? Who, who's bringing the money? I wonder who's bringing it. Boy, I hope we, we better be ready for these guys. We, we better put on our best clothes, you know, whatever. Might have heightened their anticipation. Um, and it might also have been an additional motivation for the Corinthians to get the gift ready. One commentator put it this way. He said, why did Paul not mention, why did Paul not mention Titus to companions by name? Perhaps the Corinthians already knew who they were, or Paul may have wanted to heighten anticipation for their arrival by keeping their identities a secret. Paul may have sent three delegates to Corinth rather than one or two since his credibility there had been under attack. The anticipated arrival of three visitors would, also, would have also provided additional motivation for these previously slack Christians to complete their collection. One writer speculated that they may have been Jason of Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, and Sopater of Berea, Acts chapter 20. All that being said, it could be that they're mentioned somewhere else in some other letter that we don't have. And that's okay too. <laughs> I would like to know. But it's, it's obviously the father, the as the Holy Spirit was, was inspiring Paul to write these things down, to him, to God, it wasn't necessary. Therefore, it wasn't necessary. So we're going to move on to verse 23 and just let the speculation continue. As for Titus, Paul says, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. For <coughs> excuse me. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. In summary... Paul details those who would be delivering the gift to Jerusalem. Titus was his partner and fellow worker, and then the brethren were mentioned as messengers, a translation of the Greek word apostolos, which designated them as specific messengers of the churches. They were not apostles of Christ, as was Paul uh, and the other twelve, but they had, who had, they had not seen the risen Lord, literally, and they had not been directly commissioned by him. However, they had been commissioned by the churches, and thus they were official delegates, and they were messengers, as this verse says, of the churches, the churches that were sending the gift. More importantly, all of these men in the scriptures, it says here, they were a glory to Christ. They were a blessing to Christ. What, what three words could be better spoken of anyone? He was a glory to Christ. She was a glory to Christ. Well done, he will say. You were a glory to me. 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's no higher praise that one can receive than to be designated a glory to Christ. What a phrase. All of us hope, pray, trust that God will be able to say that about us. Any questions or comments about verse 23? Yeah, it's a good section on just good old-fashioned trust, you know, accountability to one another. The shepherds and the flock, all accountable to one another. To one another. I'm accountable to you. And I don't mind. Actually, if I did, you'd probably uh, have a talk with me. So, verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches, you Corinthians, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Now, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to openly before all the other churches with which they had a close bond, demonstrate their love to this entourage and confirms Paul's boasting about them in that they would provide this generous gift. That's what, when, when it's all said and done, Christianity is about actions. Love is actions. We can say that we're going to do something and never follow through, and it was just, just it actually probably was better not to say anything. So what Paul is challenging the Corinthians here to do again, almost finally, this last verse of this, of this chapter, is to finish what they started. They started a good thing. It was a good thing to, to minister to the saints in Jerusalem this way, to help take care of people who were in dire straits. And then they dropped it. And I'm sure that there was, there was goings on in the church uh, probably people trying to remind each other, you know, we need to get that started again. We need to take care of that. We need to take care of that. And it took, apparently, an apostle to write a letter to them and say, yes, please, start it back up. And start it back up, they did. You're going to see it's, it's really exciting um, what ends up happening, what, what they end up doing. So chapter 8 begins with Paul reminding the Corinthians of their earlier plan to send the gift to Jerusalem. He stirs them up to finish that excellent plan. He then goes over his careful plan for the distribution of their generous gifts so that they and the other churches of Macedonia will know that every denarius that was sent to the that was went into the bag would end up assisting the saints in Jerusalem. It would come out of the bag in Jerusalem in their church. In the conclusion, we see the close bond that all the early churches had with one another. They cared for one another and trusted one another, and they looked to one another for wisdom. Paul traveled throughout an entire subcontinent gathering help for a single, a single struggling church <coughs> over 3,000 miles away by, as, as, the, as the traveling was. That's a modern map that gives you an idea of how to, how to get from Greece to Jerusalem. It's a long ways. It's as far as traveling from Seattle to Miami on foot. 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and there were no 7-Elevens on the way, along the way. <coughs> yes. <clears throat> 3,000, approximately 3,000 miles. Yeah. So give or take, you know, I didn't actually, I didn't do the, the, that mapping thing, but it's, it's approximately 3,000 miles. There, there was a lot that could, in, in second, in first century, Rome, there was a lot that could happen on a 3,000-mile trip. And I'm sure word got out that there was money traveling from, from Greece to Jerusalem. 
But God saw them through that journey. And, and, we, and it, there, I have a little, later on in chapter 9, we'll see how, how it played out. It, it's, it's exciting. It, it, got, it made it to Jerusalem. And the, the Jerusalem church was thrilled. <clears throat> so occasionally, as, it, as, it, as the situation was in church, in, in the church in Corinth, people have to be reminded. There's nothing wrong with that. They have to be reminded to, to pick up the ball that they've laid down. And Paul made sure that the Corinthians understood that this was not a normal situation, that this was a need at this present time. It's said in that verse in chapter 8, at this present time, it is clear that the Corinthian church rose to the occasion by the fact that Paul calls their gift generous. Yes, this church had truly turned a corner and was a body that was glorifying Christ, a body that was a byword in the early Christian world of, of, of uh, debauchery had turned the corner, and they were glorifying Christ by, by doing what they had promised to do, what they had started, and they finished it. And we'll see again. It's, it's really exciting how they finish it. Any questions about that verse or, verse or chapter 8? We're actually going to start chapter 9 today. Okay. So the best thing to do is to first read chapter 9. So if you're not already there, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 15 verses. <laughs> okay, so now we just said, he says, Therefore, last verse of chapter 8, Openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. And then he says, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about, to, about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. <coughs> now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattereth, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures, abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Somehow, when the Holy Spirit, by His grace, puts it into the hearts of men and women to be giving, somehow, even though we think it's going to diminish us, 
shrink our portfolio, get rid of our savings. When people of God get within their hearts their des a desire to help and to give to others, God supplies their need. And guess how big that supply is? It's pretty big. It's bigger than Fort Knox. I have it on good authority. It's in the scriptures. He supplies their need. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what we're going to see here in chapter 9. Paul starts this chapter allowing that he has no need to remind the Corinthians about this blessed ministry of giving to the saints at Jerusalem. And, and then he proceeds to remind them. <coughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful literary device called a paralipsis. It's a literary device in which a speaker pretends to hide what he is actually wants to say and enforce. And it's a type of irony in which uh, an outline of a message is conveyed in a manner that seems to su suppress the exact message. The purpose of the employment of paralipsis is to deliberately emphasize or assert an idea by pretending to ignore or pass over it. Writers use this device to draw the attention of readers towards a sensitive matter while the order seems detached from it. <clears throat> It is a, a method of being able to emphasize a matter without being offensive. The chapter break here may or may not be good. The thought that started at the end of chapter 8 continues in verse 1. This chapter is the great reminder for the Corinthians to be generous in their giving. <clears throat> not for fame, not for good feelings, but in order to glorify God. Paul ends this chapter, chapter 9, Again, reminding the Corinthians of the unspeakable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to the believer. In this chapter, we find that cheerfulness in giving is to be desired much more than giving in duty, although duty can get it done. So with that as an introduction, verse 1, it says, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. Paul is confident that the Corinthians will meet the challenge of ministering to the saints in Jerusalem. He uses this literary device, we talked about the paralipsis, to further encourage the Corinthians that what they are doing is an excellent thing. An example would be something like this. I have no need to remind you that everyone here, to remind everyone here that this body is truly a dedicated people that love the Lord. But you are. You do this, you do that, and then you would outline. I have no need to remind you, and then I remind you. That's, that's, that's what Paul is doing here through this section of the chapter. I have no need to speak to this. You spend time in God's word. You look for and attend to the needs of one another. You delight in service that brings glory to God. The statement itself is belied by the following descriptions. And it's an emphasis. It's a, it's a way to emphasize things. Paul says that it is superfluous or superabundant, as the translators affirm, for him to even write to them about this ministry. But write to them he does, carefully, systematically, and with appeals to history and to God. Their own history. Their own history. You started this a year ago. You guys took up the ball. You were going to help the church in Jerusalem, and it was a good thing. Finish it. He says that in chapter 8. The word for ministry is the same word from which we get our word for deacon. It is the active and effective service one renders to others regardless of their response. And remember, I think I've talked to you about this before, the old Greek root of the word for deacon is a word that means to, to cause dust to stir up because of your activity. So when we're serving one another's, we should be getting dusty. We should be stirring dust up. And that's what he's encouraging the Corinthians that they needed to do. Not just speak about it, but do it. For it is superfluous, it's not necessary, he says, for me to write to you about this ministry. And then he says in verse 2, for I know your readiness. Here he goes writing about it. 
of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. I brag about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. The readiness that Paul conveys or boasts about, here is the readiness of mind and purpose that those in Achaia, including Corinth, had evidenced. So remember we talked about the year before that they had started the collection, which was only stopped by the disputes that were percolating in the Corinthian church. Not only were the Corinthians ready, but they were zealous. And that zeal had stirred others up, had stirred the interest of other churches up in the area to help Jerusalem out. <coughs> not all of them necessarily were stirred, but, but most of them. And that may, it, it's unfortunate that not all of them. It says most of them. But you know yourself, when someone gets excited about something, it's contagious, isn't it? Or, or you just want to shut them up. But generally speaking, if it's a good thing, their excitement can be really contagious. And it's like, it's like uh, yeah, that's a great idea, and you want to get involved. And so that's what was going on in here. The church at Corinth had gotten all excited about this opportunity to meet a need in Jerusalem, and it had stirred up zeal in other churches. Um, unfortunately, some of the false accusations that were made about Paul in Corinth by the false teachers had made their way into other churches, and maybe they didn't dismiss them. It's the old thing of listening to gossip. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating, by the way, about why it says most of them. I'm speculating, okay? Who knows why they all didn't get excited? Maybe they had other projects. Maybe they had other things that they were working on, and they didn't see that it was, a po it was possible for them to do both. But it could be the thing that happens so much in life that a rumor gets started and we either believe or partly believe the rumor without checking it out. And uh, it's possible that the other churches had heard about the disputes between the false apostles in Corinth and Paul and it, it dampened their zeal. We should not do that. Go to the individual. Get the information straight firsthand. Don't check Snopes. Go to the individual. Find out for sure what is going on. Uh, and, and let that be the way that, that God is glorified in the churches. That there is no gossip heard and given credence to. And I, again, I'm speculating. I don't know that that's what happened here, but it could have been. Verse 3, and then we'll, we'll probably get really close to close. Verse, we'll probably finish with verse 4. But, but I have sent, Paul says, the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Remember, he's, it's superfluous for him to speak about this, but he's speaking about it. So the brethren he's speaking about here are Titus and those two other unnamed brothers that Paul had sent to receive the offering. They were prepared, quote-unquote, Paul says, a year ago. And now he wants to make sure that there will be no embarrassment <coughs> on anybody's part if that preparation was all for naught. It is not as if Paul is more concerned about his reputation, as we will see. Paul was most concerned with the glory of God. One of the ways God is glorified is when his children take care of one another with the gifts that God has provided. Those, the, the, the caretakers glorify God and can praise God for that, and those being taken care of can glorify God and thank him in, in that. And that's what Paul was looking for here. And then finally in verse 4, otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me, you know those people you stirred up, and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame. 
by this confidence. Paul wanted the Macedonians who traveled with him to see the Corinthian church prepared and ready to give the gifts they had spoken of a year ago in a timely and cheerful and liberal manner. He did not want embarrassment for himself or for the Corinthian church. He did not want God not to be glorified. Paul is not afraid that they will refuse to give, but just that they will not be organized in their giving. One commentator said it this way, he's not afraid, he's not afraid that they will refuse to give, but he is afraid that they may be dilatory for want of organization. It will produce a bad impression if the money is not ready when it is wanted. He carefully limits his anxiety to this particular. <coughs> we all know people who are zealous to do stuff, and sometimes they just need a little prod to help them do it. They just need a little, maybe a little help to help them do it. And, and while that is a, a deficiency in their own character that needs to be <coughs> worked on, nevertheless, it's, there's nothing wrong to see them. They were zealous about something. They started it. They didn't finish it. I can help them finish it. Help them finish it, that God might get the praise. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's coming behind a group of people, and, and he could have been offended. Why did the thing stop? Because they were, they were defaming him in the church. He didn't let that stop him. Defame him that they will. He came back to the church and said, finish what you've started. And so, we'll finish up with verse 5. Any questions about those before I... Okay. Verse 5. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Paul's urging the brethren, Titus and the two unnamed, <clears throat> to go ahead as previously planned was an organizational practice that would give the Corinthians time in case they had dropped the ball somewhat to be prepared when he arrived to pick up the gift. Because he had to go to other cities. There were more gifts to pick up. And he was trying to get this, the idea was to get this gift to Jerusalem as quickly as possible because they were hurting now. They were hurting now. <clears throat> the word translated bountiful is, is, comes from the Greek from which we get the word eulogy. It means a good word, a blessing, a genuine blessing. So what they were preparing and were, he was challenging them to finish was a genuine blessing. And Paul encourages him with that. He goes on to name the one sin that could upend this whole thing. The sin of covetousness. <clears throat> covetousness is the killer of giving and the destroyer of benevolence. This one sin does more to hinder the taking care of needs in the world than any other. People who hold on to what they have no matter what are guilty of covetousness. <clears throat> The resources that were available in Corinth to help Jerusalem were apparently bountiful, that is, abundant. Paul was hopeful that that abundance would spread to the needy saints in Jerusalem, but he knew that any hint of grabbing back onto things would destroy that opportunity. It is important that giving be voluntary. It is important that it be generous, but it is also important that it be timely. Paul was trying to make sure that all of those principles were met in the Corinthian gift. People give for different reasons, but there's really only one reason a Christian should give. In his commentary on 2 Corinthians, William Barclay outlines the four reasons that people give. He may give as a duty. 
he may discharge the claims of generosity to do so as one pays an account or seeks a remittance to a tax collector. It may be done as a grim duty and with such a bad grace that it would almost be better not to do it at all. Or he may give simply to find self-satisfaction. He thinks far more of the pleasant feeling that he has when he makes the gift than of the feelings of the person who receives it. These, there are people who will give a penny to a beggar rather because of the glow of satisfaction that they get than from any real desire to help. Such giving is in essence selfish. People who give like that give to themselves rather than to the recipient. Or he may give from motives of prestige. The real source of such giving is not love, but pride. The gift is given not to help, but to glorify the giver. In fact, the chances are that it would not be given at all if it was not seen and praised. It may even be that this giving is done in order to pile up credit with God, as if any man could put God in his debt. Last, he says, none of the ways of giving are none of these ways of giving are wholly bad, for at least the gift is made. But the real way to give is under love's compulsion. To give because one cannot help giving. To give because the sight of a soul in need wakens a desire that cannot be stilled. This is in fact to give in God's way. It was because he so loved the world that he gave his son. God was under no compulsion to give. And in most of the world, it brings him no prestige at all. He gave because he loved us. And we did what for that? We killed his son. We blasphemed him. This, in essence, is what Paul wanted for the Corinthian church. Their giving would be for the glory of God, and it would strengthen their relationships within, with one another and with the greater body of Christ. And so we'll close with that. Giving has this marvelous ability when it's done out of love to strengthen relationships within the body and with it, as it says, within the greater body. God gave to us, and, his, and the scripture says it best, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. I think that's the best way to close. Father, we thank you that you first loved us, and you gave, and you give, and you give again. Your hand is open. You take your beloved into your confidence, and you give them everything. You have given us your word. And it is in your word that we find the truth and solace. Father, might we be the kind of people who give back to you out of a love for you. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.